This land is your land? No, this land is my land. This is Prime Law Podcast, your source for good counsel. I'm your host, Andrew Mertzenich, licensed attorney. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the show. On today's episode, we will be talking about the typical real estate transaction from initial listing all the way through to closing. We will also be approaching this from both sides, that is, the seller's perspective and the buyer's perspective. And we're going to describe what the typical real estate transaction looks like from each side. But first, as my loyal listeners will know, I like facts and statistics, so let's get a few of those out of the way. So, according to Zillow, the typical seller lives in their home for approximately 13 years before putting it up for sale on the market. And they spend an average of seven months thinking about listing their home before actually listing it. On the flip side, according to OnQ, a moving logistics company, the average American will move approximately 12 times in their lifetime. Those are very interesting statistics, but they do beg the question, why do people move in the first place? Well, here's a little bit more information for you. 40% of people move for what is called housing-related reasons. That is, they find their dream home or they want to move out of their existing apartments or condos. Not even a close second behind that, though, is for family-related reasons. 27% of people move for those reasons, to be closer to grandma and grandpa, to be closer to the kids. 21%, a close third, are for job-related reasons. They found a job and want to be closer to it. And the remainder is just 12%, and that's every other reason under the sun. So now that we've answered the average person's likelihood to move and why they move, let's ask the question. Who is moving? Well, our average, quote, movers are between the ages of 18 and 34 years old and usually have one or two children. An interesting trend is that millennials, that is, those ages 25 to 35, hey everybody, are moving less than previous generations, with 20% of millennials reporting a move in 2021 compared to 26% of Gen X in 2000. So what all this means is that there are a lot of people moving around for various reasons, and many of them are on the path to home ownership. Which leads us again to the question that a lot of millennials are facing. Why should you consider owning a home rather than renting? I mean, you are going to be taking on an asset that's going to require maintenance. You're tied down to the property. That is, you can't just up and leave whenever you want. Whereas with renting, you generally can. Under the circumstances of I always advise my clients to finish out the term of the lease, but I've known a few tenants to leave in the middle of the night. But owning property also means that you don't necessarily get to choose your neighbor. So with all of these pitfalls, why should you consider home ownership at all? Well, my personal thoughts are that home ownership should at least be on everybody's radar, but not necessarily the choice for everyone. But here are a few reasons why I personally do believe it should at the very least be on your radar. First reason is pride of ownership. Now, this is probably the number one reason that people enjoy owning their own homes. You get to paint the walls any color you like. You could even paint the outside. You get to turn your music up. You get to do some landscaping and gardening. You get to attach permanent fixtures and change the lighting fixtures and 
decorate your home according to your taste. Homeownership also gives you and your family a sense of stability and security. It's investing in your future by building equity and wealth that most likely will grow with you the longer you are in the home. And this segues very well into number two, which is the investment portion of a home. Now, many investment gurus say that you should not look at your primary residence as an investment. Others say that it is core to a healthy retirement and life because it is usually a family's most significant asset. However you cut it, the fact is that in normal times, homes do appreciate in value, and you can use this fact as a backbone to a solid financial future. The third benefit of homeownership is that of predictability. You know exactly what your mortgage payment is going to be from the beginning of the loan term all the way to the end, and that predictability is very helpful in coming up with a long-term budget. about the typical beginnings of a residential real estate transaction from the seller's perspective. The first step in this process is to commit to selling your home. This may seem obvious, but understand that selling the place where you live is a very emotional time. And you're going to have to step into the buyer's shoes because after you make the decision to sell, you have to locate where you're going to move into next. So once you make the decision to sell, you then have to choose what method you are going to use to list your property on the market. There are two general avenues. The first is that you list it on your own as a for sale by owner or FSBO. Your other option is to list it with a real estate broker or agent. Quick sidebar, I used to work at my local board of realtors office in my hometown of Rockford, Illinois. And I'm sure my good friends, Marcia and Heather from that office, will be very pleased that I am now going to tell you the difference between a realtor and a real estate broker. So first of all, realtors are real estate brokers, but not all real estate brokers are realtors. See, the term realtor is a trademark that describes a real estate licensee who works in the real estate business and is a member of the National Association of Realtors and abides by that organization's code of ethics. A person does not need to be a member of this association in order to have a real estate license, but making sure that our terms are correct, your second option is to list with a real estate agent or broker. After your house is listed, either you or your agent starts the process of finding a buyer. Flipping over to the buyer's side now, you have decided to purchase a home. And so there are a few preliminary steps that you have to take in order to make that happen. And the first step to take is to determine what price you can afford. Now, this is a determination that you make based upon your comfort and your goals for the future. A good rule of thumb to abide by is that your total housing cost, that includes your principal and interest on your mortgage, your taxes and your insurance on the home should only constitute 25% of your gross income. An aspirational goal is that you should put a 20% down payment on the home so you can avoid certain private mortgage insurance. However, 
you will want to consult with your financial advisor, whether that be Dr. Google, a good friend, an experienced home buyer, an actual licensed certified fiduciary, or someone else to assist you in figuring out what your particular level of comfort is regarding your mortgage payment. Once you have your housing budget set, you should then reach out to local lenders to seek pre-approval or pre-qualification. What they will then do is issue a pre-approval or pre-qualification letter. And that letter basically says that at first glance, you, a potential borrower, are able to sustain the loan and will make all the payments and the bank is willing to back the transaction. A quick note to first-time homebuyers, you should be aware that not all lenders are created equal. And a lot of times, a local lender is better. Here's the reason I say that. My husband and I just bought our home a few months ago, and the reason that it was such a smooth and good transition for us is because the state of Illinois offers grants, that is, free money, to first-time homebuyers under certain income thresholds, and we met the qualifications for that. But the only reason we were able to get the loan and those grants is because we had a local lender who worked with us and knew about these options. Many of these online big banks don't know about this, and you may be walking away from equity or grant money to buy your first home. Anyway, once you have your pre-approval or pre-qualification letter, now's the time to shop for your new home. of buyer and seller begin to come together in the real estate transaction. The seller has a beautiful home on the market. It's fixed up. It's clean. It's gleaming. It has curb appeal from here to the moon. The buyer sees it, falls in love. The buyer says, I'm going to get that house. And what do they do? They say, here is our offer. So they contact their agent, if they have one, or they may contact what is known as the listing agent, that's the seller's agent, and they say, here is our offer, our proposed contract for us to purchase this property from the seller. The agent is then under a legal duty in most jurisdictions to take that offer to the seller and review the contract with them. The seller has one of three options. They can accept the offer, they can reject the offer, or they can make a counteroffer. There can be some negotiation in this phase, but generally the parties will work out an agreement to purchase the property. Now, what do these offers look like? Well, there is no universal contract. There is no singular form that anybody is able to pull and use as the final purchase agreement for any contract. In fact, every transition, or every transaction, I should say, has its own contract. But you will find forms that are online that can be useful. And one of the most common forms that I see in my practice, it's what's known as the multi-board contract, which is put out by the National Association of Realtors. And I believe we're on version 7.0 as of the recording of this episode, but there's another one pretty much coming out every few months. But that contract, once it's worked out and agreed to, represents how the transaction will take place. And the most important part of any purchase contract, well, the whole thing is important, but the things to really pay attention to at this stage are what are called the approval contingencies. 
These allow a buyer and seller to have, quote, outs, so that should something arise that makes it so one party does not wish to proceed with the transaction, they can terminate the contract without penalty. Now, there are many contingencies, but the most common that you will see, and these are in the multi-board, are the attorney approval contingency. This is usually a short deadline of as little as five business days where each party can take the contract to their respective attorneys to make sure that it is a solid and fair agreement. For instance, I have found that one party had accidentally waived an inspection contingency. And as the attorney, I wrote a responding letter saying, I am disapproving of the contract unless we have this contingency in. The seller said, oh, we understand it just accidentally got marked off. Here is the new contract with a contingency in it. Come to find out, the house had a carpenter ant infestation that people did not know. If we did not have that contingency, the inspection contingency and the attorney approval contingency, we would have been stuck purchasing that house as is. That is the law of the land, was known as caveat emptor, the buyer beware. But we were able to renegotiate the price in favor of the buyers so they could have it eradicated. And they did eventually purchase the home and they had the home repaired. Another common contingency is the loan contingency. This again is for the buyers where the bank has to approve the transaction first before the contract can close. This allows for a case where the bank doesn't approve the loan after underwriting for any reason and the buyers won't be held in breach of the agreement for something that is out of their control. And these are just a couple of examples and there are many, 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 many more that you can have in a typical real estate transaction but know that the contract has to have these contingencies or they do not exist and you do not have that right. So now the parties have a finished contract and the buyer gets a certain amount of time to inspect and approve of the house. They're also going to be going through the underwriting process with their lender. The mortgage loan underwriting process involves the mortgage lender evaluating a borrower's financial health and their ability to repay the loan before they issue final approval. In your case, they are going to look into every aspect of your financial life, including how much you have in savings, what do you have in retirement accounts, your emergency funds, are you employed, how much are you making. They're also going to look at how much do you owe other people? Do you have a car loan? Do you have any judgments made against you? The best advice I can tell you is to be prompt and responsive to your loan officer. Otherwise, you slowing down the underwriting can delay the transaction and cause the loan to fail. Be on top of these and answer every single email as soon as you can. It's not that hard now because a lot of even local lenders will have an online portal where you can upload documents. Meanwhile, Back in the seller's tennis court, they are preparing the paperwork. For those of you selling your home, if you haven't hired a lawyer at this point, you're going to want to do it now. You should always have a lawyer in the beginning, but now's the time where I'm going to say, you need an attorney. In Illinois, real estate agents cannot legally practice law, and that includes preparing paperwork like deeds and affidavits. You need an attorney to do this. As the seller, you are also ordering a title examination from your chosen title company. Now, what is a title examination? This is a key element in real estate transactions. What it is, is the title company 
is going to be making sure that you as the seller have what is known as marketable or suitable title. That is, the examiner is looking to see if there are any encumbrances or liens on the property, such as an easement or a tax lien. They're also looking to make sure that all dues for homeowner and condo associations are paid. They are going to be looking to make sure that the mortgage notes are presently on the property so they can figure out who needs to be paid in order to close those mortgages. As a seller, the best thing you can do is to order what are called payoff letters for each of these. Your HOA, your lender, any tax liens, and you submit them to the title company. And what the title company will do is they will pay these off at closing by issuing a check. So let's recap a little bit. Inspections are ongoing. The lender is underwriting the loan. The seller is preparing closing documents. The title company is doing its examination and the attorneys are doing their job and all the entities have submitted their paperwork to get paid. Assuming this very complex cloud of information goes smoothly and the buyers are approved for the loan, the inspections come back clean, the title company says you are good to close, then at long last, you reach the closing table. What's really interesting is that this may be the very first time that you as buyers and sellers see each other face to face. And in some cases, you may never see each other face to face. During the COVID pandemic, we really got comfortable with virtual closings where one party signs documents in the morning, the other signs in the afternoon, usually the buyers, so that way they can pick up the keys and to close the deal. But many times I have actually not had to even set foot in the title company. Everything has been sending documents by overnight express mail to the title company and emailing the rest. It's quite nice actually when you get to do a closing in your pajamas. Just before the closing though, it is the duty of the seller to leave the property in quote broom clean quote condition. That means that it's just generally clean. It doesn't have to be immaculate. You can leave a little bit of the dust, but make sure all of your possessions are out because do realize you do not have access to this property once the closing happens. The buyers on the other side will usually do a final walkthrough the day before or the morning of closing. And this is the last opportunity for you as a buyer to raise any problems. After that, once you accept the deed and the keys, the deal is closed. So in that vein, what does closing look like for the sellers? Well, at the closing table, you will be signing the deed, transferring ownership of the property and other closing documents. Now, that includes a bill of sale, that includes affidavits of title. We can go into that a little bit more if you want to give me a call if you're selling your house. But it's possible that you've already signed these ahead of the closing. Again, as I said, virtual closings have become extremely popular. But you should consult with your attorney on how to take advantage of this if that's an option you would like. Especially if you're busy and cannot make it to the closing, you do have options. But know that you're going to be signing your life away on that day or a little bit before. Buyers, you're going to have a lot of documents to sign too. So make sure to bring your signing fingers and a comfortable pen because those documents can be, shall we say, voluminous. And the big one is what is known as the loan package. Now the loan package includes you signing your promise that you're gonna pay the mortgage. It also includes the mortgage documents, the recorded mortgage note, all of the assertions, all of the affirmations, all of the affidavits, and the final settlement statement. Your real estate agent or your attorney will have informed you of the amount that you need to bring to the closing. 
That's right, you will need to bring a check to the closing in order to pay your closing costs. And that check needs to be certified and usually made out to the title company. Not to the sellers, not to the bank, to the title company. In the alternative, you can have the money wired, which usually has a fee but is much quicker and probably more secure. Again, this is why I recommend you use a local lender rather than an internet or national lender, as this means at the worst case scenario, you always have a local branch to go to to get a corrected cashier's check. After the money is received by the title company, whether that's by depositing the check or receiving the wire, and all the documents are signed and checked over by the title company, the sellers will give the buyers the keys, and the title company cuts the checks and sends all the documents to be filed with the necessary government offices. And at that time, we have closed. The transaction is complete, and ownership in the property changes hands. a typical real estate transaction. Now the word typical comes with the caveat that every transaction, though it follows this same general process, is still an individual transaction and will have its own bumps and bruises and pitfalls. My recommendation? Have an attorney in your back pocket from the beginning. Don't bring in an attorney to fix your problems. Bring in an attorney to prevent your problems. With that in mind, we've reached the end of the episode. I hope that this information helps you in your journey through home buying and selling. And I want to thank you for taking a bit out of your busy schedule to spend some time here with me. I'm your host, Andrew Merzenich, and we'll see you next time. Congratulations, you've reached the disclaimer. This podcast is a production of Prime Law Group, LLC, who are attorneys licensed only in the state of Illinois. The primary purpose of this podcast is educational in nature and does not constitute legal advice of any kind. While we love that you are a devout listener, please note that no attorney-client relationship is created by you listening or acting upon anything you hear in this podcast. References to any specific product or service does not function as an endorsement or recommendation of the same. The views and opinions expressed by guests on the show are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. For more information, go to www.primelawgroup.com.